Good morning, church. So how many of you are going to uh, take a shot at me? Okay. Yeah, not now, not now. But this is your opportunity for payback. All right? My wife leaned over to me just a moment ago and said, I bought $30 (laughs) worth of shots, and I don't doubt it. I I think if she doesn't score, she'll just take the stick and start beating me, to be honest. I just... (laughs) Uh, it's good to be with you, to share God's Word with you. God has something good for you, I believe that, to encourage you and to uh, transform you this morning. I want to begin by inviting you to look at your hands. And I'm, I'm not talking rhetorically here, rhetorically, 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 thank you. Never correct me again, please. Um, <laughs> know your role. Uh, yeah, look at your hands. What I mean is look at your hands. Take your hands and look at them. And just look at them. What do, you, what do you see when you look at your hands? Just keep looking at them. I don't mean like, what do you see about your future? Don't read your lines. It doesn't work that way. Okay, your palms can't tell your future. Don't think like that. But uh, keep looking at them. Maybe they tell you something about your past, with the life you've lived. Um, I see hands, when I look at my hands, that are just smooth and supple. Never engaged in manual labor before. There's no scars. I mean, my knuckles are so thin. Look at my wedding ring. It just... I almost have to curl my finger to keep it from following off. That's how little work these hands have done. I remember my grandpa. My grandpa was a farmer. My grandpa was short. He's been gone for a few years. We still talk about grandpa's hands. That man had sausages for fingers. Right? Like, that man worked. Like, uh, he must have just grown up, like, picking up bales and throwing bales his whole life. So, I don't know, maybe you have one of those sort of, like, big hands, right? Thick knuckles, maybe scars from work you've done, injuries you've incurred. But, you know, our our hands, uh, maybe as much as any part of us, kind of tell us a little bit about who we are, what we've been through. Um, They're they're an important part of us, our hands. Uh, They they represent... um, You know, a variety of things, but primarily when I think of hands, and actually when we look to the Bible, when the Bible talks about hands, our hands, the hands of God, um, you know, we find that hands are used primarily, let's just, for two things, two categories. Hands are for power and they're for possession. Almost everything you do with your hands is either for the sake of power or for the sake of possession. It's strength to to maybe protect, right, to to, to lift heavy objects, to provide, um, there's a picture that I just came back to me this week as I was preparing this, and one of the best pictures I think that's ever been taken. So, kids, this is why you don't look at your phone when you're at a baseball game or when you're driving the car or, you know, when you should be paying attention. This little boy is on his phone at the Atlanta Braves game. Unbeknownst to him, the batter takes a swing, loses grip of the bat, that bat goes flying into the sands, and if it wasn't for this man 
who in the moment, I don't know if that's his dad, just extends his hand in front of this guy's face. That kid's dead there. And, um, but but what you'll notice is everybody in the picture has their hands up, right? Look at that guy behind him with the invincible jersey on. He's, he's not even dropping his red Budweiser beer there. He's protecting the beer. And, uh, but everyone's using their hands to either protect themselves or in that case to protect this boy because that's what hands are there to do. It's the power to protect, um, uh, the strength to, to accomplish things. It's, it's one of the reasons I love pickle jars. I don't know what my role would be at home, what good I would be if it wasn't for pickle jars, right? Every once in a while, it's like, Dad, honey, can you come here? And I just strut in there. <laughs> Easy. I know what's wrong with you guys. But then there's those times when it just won't go. <laughs> and that's embarrassing. But um, hands uh, we, we are, kind of represent power, power to protect and provide. They also represent possession, right? We use hands to, um, to hold on to things, to possess, to cling, to express presence. And so, you know, uh, my kids are probably a little too old for this now, but when they're going to a busy store, what would a father say? Hold my hand, dear, right? You'd squeeze onto that hand uh, to hold on, to possess. Um, or, or maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's just you and, and um, your spouse just holding hands just because you can you're walking down the street and you're holding hands just as a sign of intimacy, that the sign that you love one another, that you are for one another. So hands generally represent either power or possession. That's what we use them for. Um, when the Bible speaks of the hands of God, and it does a lot, over a hundred times we hear of the hands of God, it normally is representing one of, or other of these two things, or, or maybe even both, as in the case of Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, when God says this, He says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. And so here God is talking about His hand, and what does His hand do? What does it symbolize? Um, we, we, like, this is an anthropomorphism, right? It's, it's not saying that God is actually up in heaven and He has two hands. Um, God is spirit, and yet this, this talk of hands represents the two things He said in here, right? Do not fear, I am with you. Hand represents presence, possession, and I will strengthen you, I will help you. It represents power. Um, and so one of the occasions in here where we hear of the hands of God is actually in the words of Jesus on the cross. And so we're going to look at this statement of Jesus in speaking about the hands of His Father. Uh, as we continue in the series, and if you've been around the last few weeks, you know what we're doing, and if not, just kind of to recap, um, in the lead up to Easter, we're taking a look at the seven different sayings of Jesus from the cross. Because if you look at the four Gospels, you find that there are seven, I got it right this time, there are seven different things that Jesus says, and none of that is by accident. Maybe He said more, He probably did, but God saw fit to, to, to give to the writers, to preserve for us these seven statements to help us understand more deeply who God is, what the cross means, what it looks like for us to live a cross-shaped life. And so each one of these words or statements is relevant to us, and we have a lot to learn and so we're going to look at this fourth statement of Jesus. It might actually have been the final words He uttered on the cross. It certainly is um, in Luke's uh, account of the resurrection. And so we find this in Luke chapter 23, 
verse 44, and, and we're picking up where we left off last week. You remember Jesus, he, um, he interacted with these two criminals. The one criminal said to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And we looked at that last week, how awesome that statement is, all that represents. But then uh, the story continues in verse 44. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. And so we hear these words of Jesus from the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, if you've heard of those words before, you probably haven't thought there's a whole lot to see there. This is just what dying people say in their dying breaths. I've been around um, the bedside of people that were in their final hours, and, and this is a common prayer that they might pray or that maybe as a pastor pray, you know, if if they're unable to at that point, I'm with the person, maybe with the family. And in that prayer at the end of their life, this is a statement we often say, God, we just commit this person, their spirit into your hands. It's a way of saying their time here is done, their body's going to die, but would you receive them into heaven? Or I'll say that maybe at funerals, it's a part of kind of that prayer of committal, we call it. Um. Either way, it's kind of a way of saying, my life here is over. But that is not what Jesus means when He says this prayer. Okay, this is not an end-of-life prayer. This is a way-of-life prayer for Jesus. And I'm going to say that a few times. I'll say what I mean. This is not an end-of-life prayer. This is a way-of-life prayer for Jesus. You see, Jesus is, is not, these aren't words that are new to Him. He's actually quoting the words of David, right, which you just heard there from Psalm 31, a part of the Jewish Scriptures, our Old Testament, and in that circumstance, of course, David, he's, just in a pl- he's not at the end of his life saying, I'm about to die now, uh, God, would you receive my spirit? He, he's just facing, he's in life, but he's in tough circumstances, right? He's facing enemies, he's facing all sorts of challenges, and this is a cry uh, in the middle of his life, this is the cry of his heart out to God, right? Um, asking God to deliver him, uh, to rescue him, and he, and he prays these words, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so those were the words of David. It's not an end-of-life prayer. Uh, David is entrusting himself to God. He is surrendering control of his life and all the circumstances he's facing into the hands of his God. Uh, And Jesus is doing the exact same thing. And this is something Jesus did throughout his life. Right, so Luke actually records for us the only instance we have of a story of boy Jesus. Like we had baby Jesus, too young to say anything. We have no words of Jesus as a baby. And then we have, you know, the, the, where, where the story picks up, he's 30 years old, it begins with his baptism and then his ministry. Luke provides for us just one little glimpse into his childhood, right? He's age 12, uh, his family has come from their home in Nazareth down to uh, Jerusalem to do some religious activity at the temple. They leave, they think he's with them, he's not with them. They discover halfway home, we don't have Jesus. They turn around, they're frantically trying to find him, they find him in the temple, and they kind of scold him like, Jesus, you can't do this. You scared us to death. And how does Jesus respond? He says, didn't you know that I have to be about my father's business? So right from the beginning, he had this sense that his life was about being about his father's business. And so then 
In that very next story in the Gospel of Luke, now when he's a man, he's 30 years old, uh, he's baptized and it says this, Luke chapter 3, verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. That was it, that was, I turned there for that. Jesus was baptized too, and I don't know about you, but I've sometimes wondered, why is Jesus baptized? I mean, I have sin, I need my sin forgiven, my sin's been forgiven through Jesus, through what He's done on the cross and the resurrection, and I'm baptized as a way of kind of showing that I am forgiven and I'm made new through Christ, and that's the whole symbolism of going down and coming up. Why is Jesus baptized? He has no sin. And I've sometimes wondered, well, maybe He's just like, I don't need this, but you need it, so I'm going to like lead by example. But that's to kind of not really understand the fullness of what that act represented because baptism isn't just a way of saying, my sins have been forgiven, I put my trust in Jesus Christ. Baptism was a way of surrendering your whole life into the hands of God. It, 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 was, it was giving up control of your life. It was saying, into your hands I commit myself, God. So, so that's what he prayed. That's what his baptism said. It was that same prayer. That's what Jesus says over and over again through his life. We, we best see this in the Gospel of John, right? Um, John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In other words, my will is to do his will. Chapter 5, verse 19 Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can do only what He sees His Father doing, So, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. That's the way of saying, my will is to do my Father's will. And then in chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. And this is what He says over and over again, and it kind of culminates this attitude of, of and this relationship with his father in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, kind of in, in, that, in that time, that kind of uh, most um, emotional, difficult time in his life, right, where he knows the cross that is coming, and he, um, he, he, he has this battling in his soul, and I've kind of wondered, like, when it says he's wrestling in his soul, is Jesus worried, is he afraid? A few weeks ago, I said that the Bible never tells us Jesus was afraid or that he was worried. In fact, he commands us not to be worried and not to be afraid. So in the garden, when he's wrestling and he's anguished in his spirit, is he afraid? Is he worried? Some people have asked me that, okay, like, is that what's happening there? And I, I think maybe it's something a little bit different. If you see Luke chapter 20. Let's see here, 22, in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says, Jesus withdrew from a, a stone's throw beyond them, his disciples. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, that the cup of what is to come, right, that he will do, right, he will, he will take the cross and bear um, God's judgment on our sin for us. Yet not my will, but yours be done, Jesus says. And then it says, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And, and what was he praying? He was praying the same prayer again, again, and again. Father, not my will. He didn't want to do that. But Father, not my will, yours be done. And he just keeps repeating this prayer. And so what, what is this anguish in his soul there? Is it fear or worry? I think what we see, we see is a man who's wrestling to, to completely surrender his will to the will of God. And that's not an easy thing to do. We all know this battle within us, the battle of complete surrender, the battle of letting go and, and, and just entrusting 
ourselves or some situation to God, isn't it hard to let go those things you really dearly love the most or mean so much to you? Like I, I had a call with, um, I had a voicemail from my RESP, Registered Education Savings Plan. We've actually scrolled away a little money for the kids. Not much. It'll get them through the first three weeks of university. <laughs> so hopefully they have some good summer jobs between now and then. Um, but I had this voicemail. I called back. And they're talking about the end of this plan for Annika. It's like next steps now. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like it's starting to hit Erica and I. It's not far and we're going to have to let her go. We're, and so I had this conversation, and, and Eric and I, were, we're, we're taking a road trip to Alberta, and we're going to stop, and we're, we're going to take a tour of Briarcrest College, give Annika a tour, then maybe we'll go down to Miller, and we're, we're going to start, we're actually, we're at the stage, we're starting to visit some universities. And, and Erica said to me this last week, I just don't know if I can let her go. And I said, I think I'll be fine. That's what I said. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's just strength to try to cover up this male emotion inside that I don't know how to express. But yeah, we're starting to anticipate that. Some of you, you've been there. It's just like to, for, some, for someone or something that means so much to you, just to kind of let them go outside of your control. Not able to determine what happens. That's hard to let go. And some of you, you've had to do that with a spouse, maybe even at a deathbed. Some of you very recently. It wasn't your choice. It was not your will. And, and you're having to battle letting go of something or someone so dear to you. And what is Jesus having to let go? He's having to let go his spirit. He's having to entrust to his Father into his hands his spirit. Now that word spirit there is, represents, like that's, that's life. That's, that, that, that's a person's breath. It's a life. It, 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 it's the word that describes the most the most intimate part of you, okay? The essence of who you are. Your spirit is that place of your identity, who you think you are. Your identity, it's, it's that place of deepest longings, deepest affections, your core values, your greatest aspirations. It's your, your true self, your deepest self. This is your spirit. And Jesus on the cross, his prayer is really the prayer that he's prayed throughout his whole life in all these different ways. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I give you my life. I give up control. May your will be done. And so here on the cross, as much as at any other point in his life, he, he trusts himself to his Father's power and his Father's presence because he knew his Father. His Father was not a stranger. He knew the character. He knew the power of God the Father, and that enabled him to entrust himself in that moment. And aren't you glad Jesus did? Aren't you glad that Jesus said, not my will, but your will, God? Because if he said, eh, my will, like we would still be dead in our sins. Like we would not have a Savior but because Jesus gave up com complete control over himself to the will for his father, whatever will his father had for him, he became for us a perfect savior. So, so that's enough. Like, praise God for that, that Jesus prayed that prayer from the beginning of his life right to the end of his life. But here's now the thing. That's not just a prayer that Jesus prays. That's not a prayer that's unique to him. 
I mean, after all, hadn't David already prayed that exact prayer? I mean, Jesus, Jesus was ripping off of David. And, and if you look at the, the story that Luke continues to tell, you maybe remember me saying that Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the sequel, the book of Acts, the story of the first church. And as Luke records the, the death of the, very, the, the, the first Christian to be killed for their faith, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, Luke describes it this way. It says in verse 59, While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Right? He's praying the exact same prayer as Jesus. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Although, interestingly, he doesn't say Father, he says Lord Jesus. I, that's kind of interesting. Already, even those first Christians had some idea that, hey, this Jesus wasn't just a prophet like Muhammad or, you know, or whatever, like trying to tell people about who God is. Like, he's in, just as Jesus entrusted himself to, to God the Father, Stephen is entrusting himself to, to God the Son. There's already that sense that Jesus is divine in his nature, but that's a bit of an aside. I found that interesting. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. But it's the same prayer, so that prayer is not unique. And you know what? Not only is that prayer not unique to Jesus, the cross isn't even unique to Jesus because Jesus was talking about the cross that you and I would have to bear before even he even bore his cross. Do you remember Luke chapter 9, verses 23? Jesus, um, he says this to his disciples, to those who follow him, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So if you're a follower of Jesus, this is, this is a statement to you. We are called, if we're going to be his disciples, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily and to follow him. And I don't know about you, if you're like me, but I've read that over the years and I've, I've, I've wrestled with what in the world does it mean for me to carry my cross? I thought you were the guy that carried the cross. And, and we know how Jesus carried, we know the story, like there's a big piece of lumber on his shoulders and, and it represented misery and suffering and he carried it to his place of execution. Is Jesus saying that, just like he lived a life where he had to bear that sort of misery and suffering, like that's going to be your fate too. You're just going to have to, every morning, you're going to have to go through life with this really heavy burden on your shoulders. That's, that's kind of what I heard in that verse until I realized that that's not what he's talking about because the, the cross doesn't just represent all that suffering and misery. The, co- the cross represents giving up one's life. The cross represents denying yourself, or as it would say elsewhere, to die to yourself. The cross represented giving up complete control of your life, your plans, your hopes, your dreams, you know, your future, giving that to God and saying, not my will be done, Lord, but your will, whatever your will is for me. That's what I want. To take up the cross means to surrender yourself, to give up control. And, and relinquishing control is hard, isn't it? You ever found that it's hard to let go of control? We're all control freaks by nature, some of us more than others. But we're all, and maybe it's one area of your life or another. We're, you know what happens with your kids, your job, your finances, whatever. We're all, we, we all have this tendency to want to keep 
ourselves in our own hands because we have plans, things that we want to seek, bring about, and we want to do everything within our power to create the outcome that we desire, that we want. And how can we do that if we don't have control? And so a picture I think that comes to my mind is the steering wheel. I like to have the steering wheel in my hands. Do you? I'm one of those guys, if you see us in town, I'm probably the one driving. Not always, but it's hard for me to not have the steering wheel. But I'm not a backseat driver because I don't sit in the backseat. I'm a passenger seat driver, right? Uh, reminding Erica, you know, what the speed limit is here. I know, Rusty. Or when she should start braking. Dinner sections. I mean, it's not that, like I'm, I'm not a dictator. But it, it, it's hard, it's hard to not be in control. And now I've got a 16-year-old who's driving. And I, and I just have to give her the wheel? It doesn't come naturally to me. And to me, like that, that's just representative, I think, of, of life. And maybe, maybe you can think of in your own life of, of situations where it's tough for you to just to kind of let go of, of something. I saw a bumper sticker once that said, Jesus is my co-pilot. Science sounds kind of cool, but I think... What that can mean and what we can do would be like, yeah, Jesus, come along for the ride. I'd love to have your wisdom and insight. You know, you're the passenger seat, so when I need help, I can turn to you and say, hey, I'm trying to go here, but I'm kind of lost. Can you show me how I can get there? But we still have our hands on the wheel, but we'd love to have his input because I have an idea of where I want to go. I have a plan for my life. Uh, You know, the bumper sticker we're supposed to have is not Jesus is my co-pilot. Jesus doesn't want to be our co-pilot. Jesus is our designated driver. This, this is what this prayer means when Jesus says, I give my spirit into your hands. I release complete control to whatever your will is. In our life, we, we are called to allow God to be the designated driver, to be the one that takes the wheel. And I'm not going to sing the song. I'm not going to sing the song. But there's a difference between living your life for Christ and giving your life to Christ. And it's, it can be a bit of a subtle difference. Living your life for Christ says, um, I want to do these great things for God. And so I'm going to try to muster all my own strategizing and giftedness and strength and wisdom and everything I can to accomplish this for God's glory. But in that, God becomes the audience and I become the actor trying to bring about something that I have decided is good or best. And that's not the Christian life. That's not what it means to pick up our cross daily. It means to give up control of your life to Christ. So God is the one to recognize that God himself is invited to be the actor who takes us where he wants us to go. And, you know, we we all have hopes and and dreams and desires in life, right? I, I remember as a young person... I can talk about when I was a young person because I'm no longer a young person, right? I, I had a picture of how I wanted my life to go. I was going to be Thomas's parent pitch coach. That was my son. His name was Thomas. 
and uh, was never going to live in southern Manitoba ever again. I said that to God. Be careful what you say to God. But I think we all had a, a picture of our life. And you know what? Then you get to midlife. I, I hit those midlife crises where you realize that the time is growing short to accomplish the things that you wanted to do, right? And, and it's kind of this frenzy. It's this panic that, that, that if I'm going to actualize these plans or fulfill these dreams or aspirations, then I've really got to double down and i really got to do. What we see in the life of Jesus and in this prayer is... As Christians, we are, we, we, we are called to lay down our plans and our aspirations and give God free reign and complete control to, to bring about whatever His will is in us. Even if we don't, if it wouldn't have been our choice or our will or if we don't understand what He is doing and why He's doing that. And between services, there was, there was a guy who came to me up in the foyer and new family to the church and he said that they had moved back here because his parents are here and they're ailing. Um, and he thought, you know, they needed to be here while his parents were, were aged and ailing. But he said, but I don't want to be here. He said, I could have the sort of job, I've got the sort of job I could do from anywhere. Like my plan was to be somewhere warmer. He mentioned Spain. Like if it was just him, his plans, what he wanted, it would look this way. And we all have a bunch of those things in our life, don't we? If it was up to us, it would be like this, and, and maybe we can kind of lament the fact that it can't be that because we can't bring that about, or we get frustrated when it doesn't happen. But what this prayer is, is an invitation to give God complete control, to, to say to Him, God, my life is yours. Not my will be done, but your will be done. I trust myself to you. And how often do we need to do that? How often do we need to commit our lives into God's hands and pray that sort of prayer? Well, if you go back to Luke chapter 9, maybe you want to throw that verse up there again, Jasmine. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. What's the word? What's the word? Daily. daily. Do you know what daily means? Every day. That's what that means, Right? So it's not, if you want to be my disciple, you got to pick up your cross on that day when you decided to be a Christian and you prayed that prayer to follow me. He says, no, this sort of prayer, and, and, and this, 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 is a, this is not a one-time sort of declaration. This is the way you live your life as a Christian. Right, this prayer again, it's not an end-of-life prayer. This is a way-of-life prayer. Every single day, he says, we are called, if we're going to follow Jesus, to be like he did, to wake up and say, you know, hey, this is what I'd love to see happen. This is what I want. But God, ultimately, it's your will that I want. I, I, I just entrust myself to you. And sometimes we need to pray that more than just once a day. That needs just to be a, a constant prayer in our life. Paul kind of talked about this. This is my life verse, Galatians 2.20. Back, I don't know why I picked this verse. I loved it when I, I don't know, I was a teenager, a young teenager, but I took this as my life verse. I, I, I want to be able to say this in my life. These are the words of Paul. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In other words, I've, I've, I've died to myself. I've, come, I've, I've let go all of kind of what, what, what I would have, you know, chosen or wanted for myself and I've given myself completely to Christ. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I now live in the body, in the here and now, in this life, is a life lived by 
faith. In other words, the battle of the Christian is a battle of continual trust. It's a battle of continual trust in all circumstances. It's a battle of continual surrender to God, to His will, whatever it might be. And that's something, again, we have to do daily, over and over again, as we find ourselves wanting to lay hold of things again, to try to create an outcome that we think is best, is right. Entrusting yourself to someone is scary. That's why marriage is scary. Marriage is scary! Who said that? Did, did someone go here, here? Either that's a single guy or a soon-to-be single guy there, one or the other. <laughs> Marriage is scary. I mean, it's good. Can you, giving your life to somebody else? Man, I, I, I got knee lock syndrome. I, I remember that day, May 3rd, 2003, Grasmere, England. This is the spot I'm going to propose. My knee wouldn't bend. It just wouldn't. I couldn't get it to bend. I had to take a few loops before, I, before my knee started to bend and before I asked if, if you know, she would take me and um, if we would give our lives to one another. and Because uh, that's a big deal, right? To, to entrust your spirit, your life to someone. Um, you know, you make yourself really vulnerable. You'd be a fool to just trust anybody. That's why when one of my girls brings somebody home, um, I will find out if they're trustworthy. Oh, on my ways. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this. We, we did a weekend hotel thing last week. Um, forgive the title of, this, of the movie. The movie's called Meet the Fockers. And... Um, if you've seen that movie, it's about the, the guy coming over to meet the, the future in-laws. And uh, the name of the family is the Fockers. And uh, the CIA agent's father who just brings him through all of these tests to find out, is he trustworthy enough for my daughter? Is he good enough so she can entrust herself to him? It's a really funny movie. You'd be a fool to just trust anybody especially with kind of the, the deepest part of yourself, your identity, to give your identity away to, to God, your, your, your aspirations, your, your greatest plans and ambitions for your life, your deepest affections, to be able to just give that over to God and say, you know, hey, this is what I want, but Lord, not my will, whatever your will is, you have my permission. I give you control. I'm going to trust I'm going to trust, God, that your will is better. Why, why could Jesus put his life in his father's hands? Is because he knew his father, right? He knew the track record. And, and I think that, that's why Paul did the same thing. He said, I live by faith. Why? He didn't say, I just live by faith in Christ. What did he say? I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not just going to trust my life with anybody. I'm not just going to obey anybody because they tell me this is what's best for me. But I will trust the one who loved me and gave himself for me on the cross. Paul says, Jesus is worthy of my trust.
The final words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew to his disciples before he sends them out, you know, to, to, to this life on mission um, where they're going to face opposition and, and hardship and challenges and some of them even, even death. These are his final words. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Normally, we just focus on the middle part called the Great Commission, where he tells us what we need to do. But if we're going to do that, what, what we need to do is we need to, we need to see what he has said about himself, his promises that he sandwiches that command with. What does he say at the beginning? All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I have power and control, sovereignty over all things, everything you're going to face. I have power over that thing. And what does he say at the end? And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And what he's saying is you are safe in my hands because my hands are hands of power and my hands are hands of possession. Therefore, go. Be on God's mission. The question for each of us is whose hands are we in? I'm not asking did you pray once to ask Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior? I'm praying today with the stuff you're going through in life, whose hands have you placed yourself in? Have you placed a difficult situation in? In your hands or in the hands of Jesus? And this is what we need to know. Jesus' hands are far more trustworthy than yours. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? That Jesus' hands are more trustworthy than yours? That His hands are the best hands to be in? Whose hands would you rather be in than in the hands of Jesus, in the hands of God? And yet we find ourselves constantly having to wrestle with, will I try to keep the wheel of this or will I let go and allow God to be the designated driver? And just be content to trust that where He leads me, whatever that is, whatever that outcome is, it will be good. His plan and His purpose for me are perfect. They're, it is good. So I remember as a teenager, there was a sign above um, our kitchen sink. So whenever I was washing dishes, which I hated to do, to do but you know, my, I, I, I store this, would have to stare at this statement. Um, said this, there is no safer place to be than in the center of God's will. There is no safer place to be than in the center of God's will. And if, and if by safe you mean a place um, that's easy, painless, and comfortable, then, then, that's, then that statement isn't true. Then there, then there are safer places to be, seemingly. But if what we mean by safe is secure, there is no more secure place to be than in the center of God's will? If what you mean is that place where you can kind of dwell in peace, knowing that God's hands of power and, his, and, and, and presence, possession are on you, then there is no safer place to be than in the center of God's will. So the question for you is, whose hands are you in? Is this a prayer that you need to pray in some area of your life? Right now where you are, you are, you are, you are battling just as Jesus did in the garden, 
Now, that, that, was, that was greater anguish. He dropped sweats of blood. He was burying the sin of the world. Thank God you don't have to bear the sin of the world. You don't even have to bear your own sin. Thank God for that. But is there something in your own little garden of Gethsemane that you're kind of wrestling with, some, some outcome that you think you absolutely have to have in order for things to be okay, to be satisfied or content, to be happy? Is there something that you need to let go of and give God control of? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's a prayer, again, that's a prayer that we are called to pray daily. That, that, that's not a beginning of life prayer, end of life prayer, that's a way of life prayer for us who follow Jesus. We are to be those who carry our cross, which is to say that we give God the right to do whatever His will is in our life, trusting Him that He's more powerful and that He is wiser and He is more trustworthy than we are. So as we take this away from here, um, a couple of things. First of all, if you need to be baptized, if you haven't been baptized and you're a follower of Jesus, that's something you need to do. That, that's what baptism represents. It's a way of saying to the world um, around you, I'm giving complete surrender of my life to Jesus. It's a way of praying that prayer. And, and so, if that's something you need to do, then, then don't, don't let fear or worry get in the way. Don't, don't, let, don't let the conditions of, well, it would have to happen with these people here or those people not there or in this way. Don't, don't try to manage. Don't try to control. Don't try to control it. Just obey it. Don't you think that God can do more for you than you can do for yourself? What do you think God can do when you say, yes, Lord? I don't know how that's possible. I don't want that. Yes, Lord. What do you think God can do when you say, yes, Lord? There's no limit. There's no limit. That's why we often at the end of services, as we will in a couple of minutes, we kind of declare those words over us to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Because he is the one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Whose hands would you rather be in? He can do more in, through, and for you than you could ever do for yourself. His hands will not fail you. So as you go from here, what I ask you to do is start practicing that, maybe even with a prayer each morning. Take some time, you know, the beginning of the day is best, just take some time, and, and a part of what you do in taking time to hear from God and to talk to God um, is to pray that prayer, Father, today I give you my life, I surrender control of this day to you, I trust in you. If you could begin your day and go through your day um, practicing that um, a, you, you would know the goodness of what God's will is for your life and how it would have exceeded what your will for your life was. But you were able to, to go through all circumstances with this deep peace. 
knowing that you are in capable hands. I think I'll end there. I could keep talking. When you go from here, uh, just make a point. Tomorrow morning, the morning after, the morning after, when you wake up, if you do nothing else, pray that prayer. Because that's not just Jesus' prayer, that's our prayer. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Can we start practicing that now? As the team comes up, they're going to lead us in one final song of worship. I want to invite you into a moment of personal prayer, as we sometimes do at the end here, just to begin the conversation with God. Not to end it, but to begin it. Maybe God has laid on your heart, if you just want to bow your head and close your eyes and just just listen to God. Maybe in this message, He has already brought to your mind some situation in your life where you are struggling with control, to give up control, where you are worried or anxious about some outcome which may be undesirable. If, 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 that's, if that's there, if God brings something to mind, like just take the opportunity to say, God, this area, I, just tr- I trust you with this. I don't, I, don't, I, don't under, I don't understand what's going on. I don't know what's going to happen, but God, I trust you with this. Show me what it would look like for me, God, just to take my hands of control off of the situation. Maybe it's more just a general prayer. Maybe there's not one thing in your life that, that God is bringing to your mind, but it's just a general sentiment that you just want to declare to God um, and pray that prayer. I just want to give you a moment. But just, just talk with God for a moment, and then um, I'll close. Father, we just declare as your people, again, that you are trustworthy, that you have never failed us and you will not fail us, that you are more than able to handle anything that we are facing now or will face tomorrow. Uh, We just declare that we believe that not only are you able, but you care so deeply for us that you hold us in your hand. You are not distant from us. As we just read in the story, when Jesus breathed his last, the veil was torn. That separation between your presence and us sinful people, that was torn. There is no more separation. Now there is fellowship. There is intimacy that we can have with you, relationship. We thank you, God, that you just... You, you care for us. You are for us. You are with us. Lord, just help us as we follow you day by day. And as we go into this week, just to, just to enter in with this spirit of trust. May this just be the prayer of our heart. Lord, as we go from this place, Lord, we just say to you, God, it is not our will that we want, Lord. It's your will that we want to be done. Have your will in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.